This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. This is Arjun, and I have the pleasure of talking to some incredibly fascinating people from all walks of life and all over the world. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Rishon Globberg. Rishon graduated from Wharton School with a degree in entrepreneurial management from concert promotion to co-founding brick wall management, 10x management, 10x ascent. He has imbued his passion with purpose. And that's the part where I really like the connection of passion and purpose. And I really would love to know a lot more about him there. Rishan's first book published by HarperCollins Leadership was released in September, 2020. Game Changer, How to Be 10X in the Talent Economy reveals the strategies companies and individuals can take to become 10X. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big, Rishan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Rishan, first of all, congratulations on being a game changer and writing a bestseller book on it. So let me ask you right away, what is the secret to being a game changer? That's a huge question. Um, I'm going to try and break it down into a couple different parts because I think it's, it's different things depending on the perspective from which it's being asked, right? So I think there's things that companies can do to be game changers um, and individuals can do to be game changers, which is sort of how the book is split up. We talk first about what companies can do to make an impact uh, and sort of change the game for themselves and then what individuals can do. Um, me personally, I view game changing as a daily, minute by minute, small increment um, affair. It's something that you really have to sort of be a lifelong, um, you have to be dedicated to it sort of lifelong. Um, it's really about doing the small things that you can to improve your life, to improve the lives of those around you. Um, in the book, what we really talk about and we fo focus on there is the issues, and, and this is all pre-pandemic, mind you. So this has really been accentuated significantly during the pandemic, but but what we were really focused on are the difficulties that companies are having in finding and sourcing and retaining the right types of talent, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the idea that we're talking about here, the game changer that we're talking about here really has to do with what how companies view individuals that work for them, right? And, and most companies consider those to be employees. We consider those to be talent. And that's why we call the book, uh, How to Be 10X in the Talent Economy. Because the reality is when you start to think about people that work for you as talent, i.e. LeBron James, right? You would never think of LeBron, the Lakers would never think of LeBron James as their employee. Mm -hmm. um, LeBron James is talent. He's a superstar. When companies start to think of individuals as individuals, as talent, as opposed to cogs in a machine or just employees, I think a fundamental shift changes. And that's sort of the game changer we're talking about is really a people-centric approach to things. Um, the great resignation and the things that are happening right now due to the pandemic, um, I, I think we're coming regardless, but they've really been hastened. And a lot of that has to do with people sort of realigning with what's important to them, 
What do they want from work? What is their expectation? What is the purpose that they have as it relates to work? And all of that is wrapped up in the concept of a people-centric approach. Um, and that's really the game changer that we're talking about. So let me push you a little bit. This whole concept of talent versus employee and listening to you, it feels it's not just words, it's totally on the attitude, how you feel. How does that mindset change when you view the talent and not people just as employees? You know, it's, it's, it's sort of the idea of manifestation where the things you talk about, the way you project things, the way you think about things tend to happen. And they don't just happen by, by accident. They happen because you start living those things that you talk about, the things that you believe. Mm -hmm. So even just the term human resources, does that sound like a, a department that is really dedicated towards making the lives of the employees of talent that make up your company better? It sounds much more of a technical, you know, it, it's not a warm, fuzzy term. And not mm -hmm. everything needs to be warm and fuzzy, but you, you need to lead, leaders need to lead with the concept of what is going to work best to support the talent that is there to, to make this company thrive, to help this company thrive. Um, so it's really sort of about changing the entire framework. And, and I think it starts with thinking about people, not as employees, but as talent. Again, it's, it's, it's a very subtle change because it really doesn't change the structure of the relationship. It changes the way you view the people that are in your employ. They're no longer just, again, like cogs in a machine, they're individuals each individual contributes to the success of the company. Um, and the more you can bring them into the fold and, and, and treat them as if they're a team member, as if they're talent, as if they're truly important, uh, the more likely they are to manifest that and feel that. Um, it's all about the company's culture. And it starts again, culture really stems from the way you treat people. Mm -hmm. um, and, and those are things that are vitally important in today's marketplace and the marketplace of the future. Yeah, and what I love the fact you talked about about human resources and how it just is, you know, very cut and dry, just like maximizing resources, like to me, like, wow, you know, and on the other side are human beings. The same thing for me is training. Like, you know, it's not my statement. Somebody told me training is for animals or anything like that. Like talent to me is each person is different. Is there something that as we are all trying to be more inclusive, does seeing the world through the eyes of talent change instead of looking at everybody as employees and making them conform? Yeah, I mean, I think it really, it humanizes things, right? These people that are employees, those cogs in the machine are individuals with lives, with experiences, with baggage that they're bringing into your company, uh, both positive and negative. And our viewpoint is that great management and great leaders mm -hmm. need to understand who each individual is in order to be able to provide them the type of support that they individually need. Now, if you are the CEO of a company that has 50,000 employees, obviously you as the CEO are not going to know everybody, but it's a trickle down effect. If you treat the people directly below you a certain way and your expectation is that they're gonna treat the people below them a certain way, it flows down the chart um, so that team leaders take the time to know who the people are that are working for them, understand how best to support them. You know, we, we break this down into a bunch of different chapters in the book, and, and it would really take too long to go into all of it. So 
certainly read it. But really, all of these different chapters are different elements of how to understand how best to support an individual, right? You know the golden rule, treat others the way that you would want to be treated. The platinum rule is treat others the way that they want to be treated. Um, and not to sort of coddle everybody, because I don't think this is about just making everybody's life so simple that work isn't even work. It's just, you know, do whatever you want time. It's not really about that. It's understanding what motivates someone to be the most effective that they can be. And in some cases, that might be giving people a lot of freedom to do what they do without a lot of supervision. And in other cases, it might be this person really needs a lot of handholding and a lot of supervision or a lot of mentorship. You know, you talk about training. I think the word mentorship is a lot better. And it's something that we really are lacking mm -hmm. um, today is, is this idea of people with greater experience helping people with less experience to understand what it takes to do a given job or to be truly a professional or to manage down, manage up, manage sideways. You know, these are all skills you have to acquire and learn from somebody. Um, so that's really, you know, that sort of dives into it a little bit deeper, I think. Also, I love the word mentorship. The moment you use it, I felt you're investing in me. And that really pushes me to try harder because I'm part of, like, it just, it just feels like you're a shareholder investing in me and I can build on that as you start, start looking at, and you know, I can build that. So let me ask you a question is conceptually, I get it. But when companies want to make the change, what are some of the barriers that they face in this journey? Because this is a total mindset change forever. It's not a one-time fix. It's literally right. a lifestyle change. What are some barriers and how do they overcome that? Well, I, look, this is, this is certainly a top-down um, type of change. This doesn't start from the bottom and bubble up. So it really has to be a conscious decision that uh, a CEO, a board, senior management, C-suite really have to determine what it is they want and what they stand for. So to me, it starts with core values. And a lot of companies have core values. Um, they create this document. Uh, maybe they share it with their employees and it sort of gets put in the, in the drawer and put away. We would much rather have companies you know, hang their core values right on the wall. I guess in a remote world, it, maybe it's a Zoom background, whatever the case may be. But it starts with what your core values are as a company and living those core values and the expectation of living those core values day in and day out. So it's really a very intentional process. It doesn't, you don't stumble upon this. It's something you really have to concept. Um, and look, I think there's I think there are a million and one barriers to entry. I think human nature is just a barrier to entry because very often people don't want to invest time in other people. You know, that's, that's a big commitment to invest time in somebody, right? A lot of people have the mindset of like, I pay you a salary, do your job. That doesn't really work. Um, I don't think that that ever really worked, to be honest with you. But there was so much inefficiency in the marketplace that it didn't really matter that much. Um, but the market, and by market, I mean companies are becoming more and more efficient. The use of technology is, is breeding more efficiency um, and automation. And automation is something that's gonna replace human workers in a lot of ways. So the, the ability to retain those people that do remain that are gonna be so key is the number one most important thing businesses 
need to do. And if that is the number one most important thing you, thing you need to do as a business, then this idea of sort of reframing the, the narrative of who you are and what you stand for really needs to be your number one priority. Mm-hmm. I love that. So in this journey, as you have worked with companies to help them change their game and evolve, what are some memorable stories or moments that gives you goosebumps and gets you excited about what you have accomplished? Well, let me start by saying, first of all, that I wish we had uh, as much dialogue and communication with companies at this type of uh, a level where we can talk about the culture and the way that they, they handle their human resources, you know, their people, their talent, whether that's uh, full-time employees or contract employees. Um, the reason we wrote the book is we don't really have that. And, and the companies that get it they're already doing these things. And we work with a lot of those companies, but there are plenty of other companies we work with that have a very old school mindset. um, And it just makes the process so much more difficult. Um, And so that was really the audience that we're speaking to in the creation of the book. So so, so, uh, being completely candid, we have not had the kinds of meaningful conversations that we would wanna have um, directly with a lot of these companies. I mean, we have them sort of during the negotiation process to either bring on a W-2 employee or a 1099 employee. So at 10X Management, we represent senior level tech freelancers. So we help them negotiate the terms of their engagements and help, you know, sort of optimize that process so they can focus on what they do best. Um, And then at 10X Ascend, we help the same type of talent negotiate their W-2 compensation packages. So in both cases, we're, we're sort of interfacing with procurement, the procurement side of a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and the real problems that we've come across there have to do with bureaucracy, have to do with sort of legacy processes and not thinking of either a project or the person who's going to solve that project or, or, or work on that project as talent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I wish I had a lot of stories of we had these conversations and then this turned around. The kinds of stories I, I do have are stories of how 10Xers, people who are really sophisticated, have gone in and solved problems for companies and changed valuations for companies. And that's really sort of the crux of what it is we're trying to talk to companies about. Like if they can understand their procurement process better, mm-hmm. they open up the, the ability to uh, attract and work with these kinds of talents more effectively, which gives them that leg up. Um, for example, we talk about this in the book, we work with an education startup and we've been working with them for quite a while. But towards the beginning, um, we had one uh, senior level freelancer and they're working on a very discreet project for them. Um, and this person, I would say maybe five, six months into the project, learned of another department that was having an issue with an algorithm. They couldn't get it to do what they wanted to do. And he offered, you know, he, he went to his, his direct report and he said, look, I, I, I know I'm not working on this, but I heard about this. I feel like it's possible I might be able to make a difference here. You know, would you like me to take a crack at it? So here is somebody who is a freelancer who learned about something, proactively went to management, talked to them about it, essentially volunteered to try and problem solve it. Right there, you've got a, sort of a different mindset that a 10Xer takes than your zero X, or let's say, they're offering to solve a big problem, right? They're not shying away from it, which a lot of people do. 
Um, and this person actually was able to solve the problem. And we were told by the company that in their next round, they were able to get an exponentially larger valuation because this tech was now figured out. Um, and that was really, that was probably around 2013, 2014. We started the company in 20, technically in 2011, but, but actually in 2012. Um, it was a real eye-opening moment for me because we had this belief, we had this concept that a 10Xer can make an exponential difference, but we hadn't necessarily seen it in such black and white terms as this moment in time. So that was, you know, personally for me was a huge win because we're in this to make the situation better for companies. Like we have two constituencies. We have the 10Xers that we want to uh, improve the quality of engagements they work on and companies, we want to give them rapid access to the best and brightest. And this was the first time, at least for me, that I was like, okay, I truly see how this can make it a big difference. Um, and that's just, you know, that's one story, but, you know, we have that story multiple times every single year when, when these engagements work out well, it's a game changer. I love that. So let me push you from the, I really get it that those who do not get it, there's a bureaucracy and they resist change. If you and I were to make an infomercial right now, and we want to say, these are three things, I don't know, one thing, two, three, four things, if it's happening, you are missing out an opportunity to be a 10Xer. So what could be a few symptoms that people who are not 10Xers, individuals or companies, however you want to answer that they can look at, they right away should pick up your book or call you right away. So I would say that the, the highlights of what we focus on for an individual to be more of a 10Xer, um, and they're fairly basic. So I don't think I'm going to tell you anything here that, uh, that you've never heard before. But when you, when you think about it in sort of totality, I think it makes a huge difference. The first thing is you have to be a lifelong learner. If you're complacent and you just sort of stay in your, in your existing lane, um, you're probably going to be passed by very quickly because things are moving too fast. So in the book, we talk about uh, IQ and EQ. Those are the two things that we talk about that make up a 10Xer. Somebody who's really smart, high IQ. Somebody who has high EQ, they understand the emotional quotient. They understand how people work, how to communicate things. There's one thing we don't talk about in the book, and I'm not saying it's new, but we just didn't cover it, which is AQ. All right, the ability to adapt, right? So this, this idea that you're constantly learning is that ability to adapt. It's a very Darwinian concept. If the world is changing quickly and you don't have the tools to change with it, you're going to be passed by. So that's thing one is adapt, is learn, be a constant learner. The second thing we, we touched on it already, which is mentorship. Um, we call it skin in the game. Finding somebody who has skin in the game, who cares about your career and you as a person who can give you guidance. Um, that could be a whole host of people. It could be a manager in your company. It could be somebody outside of your company. It could be a family member. It could be a religious figure in your life. Somebody who can give you some perspective and guidance on things. Um, so we, we call that skin in the game or the third party effect. Somebody being able to talk on your behalf about you in a very positive way. Um, and then I think it's, it's a little bit of blending of the two. It's being able to be a mentor for somebody else and learning about those other people that work around you. So everybody works, nobody works as a true individual. You always work as part of some sort of a team. Now you can just be in your lane and do the things you're supposed to do, or you can be like that 10Xer. And when you see an issue, 
you can volunteer to help with it. Now that may be giving somebody else feedback. Um, very often what great managers do is they see things in you that you don't see in yourself. That could be a positive or a negative. Maybe you constantly make the same mistake, but you're not realizing it. And a manager might say, hey, did you know that, you know, every time you do a paragraph break, you do something, you know, it, it could be a repetitive thing. That's a terrible example. But, um, you know, so, so the ability for you to be a game changer for somebody else, I think sort of rounds out what it means to really be a 10Xer. Um, that's on the individual level. On the company level, it's, it's much more, uh, structural. It's much more a mindset of, you know, I think that the, the, the main takeaway there is, is talent, is thinking of the people in your employee as true talent and then treat them appropriately. Love that. So now let's look ahead a little bit. So Mr. Game Changer, what is next? What are you working on after this? You know, it's, uh, for me, it's really always about improvement um, micro improvements, baby steps. So for us as a company for 2022, we're really looking at process, internal process. We probably spent the last five years looking at external um, elements, things like how do we generate top of the funnel? How do we service those, those, those leads that come in? How do we deal with our, our ecosystem of clients and customers? Um, the next thing for us is really introspection. Are we, is our process optimized? Are we utilizing the best technology? Um, and I think that that's something, especially given this great resignation and the pandemic that a lot of companies are doing. They're trying to determine like, if I'm gonna have a distributed uh, uh, employee base for a long period of time, what does that mean for the technology I'm using currently? Do I have everything I need? Am I being truly intentional about the way that I'm dealing with my, my employees? By the way, intentionality is my, my buzzword of 2021. And, and I mean that by the fact that when we're distributed the way we are, we don't have water cooler moments. We don't have moments where we bump into somebody in the office and we have a conversation. We have to be intentional about having those conversations. So part of this introspection is, is figuring out like if we're going to have people out of office um, and we have a blend, which I think most companies do, where there's some people in office sometimes, some people out of office, do we have the right processes in place? Um, so for me, that's, that's the big, that's the big next step. Love that. So now let me put you in a very fictional situation. If you walked into a coffee shop or a bar and you all of a sudden meet two people who greet you, one is Rashawn 16 years old. One is Rashawn hundred years old. You know, there's a big hug you guys, and then there's a conversation. What would that conversation with the 16 year old and with the hundred year old Rashawn be? Well, the 16-year-old Rashawn, and, and by the way, I think that I have two kids, one who's 16 and one who's 19. Um, so while I haven't had the conversation with myself, I've certainly had echo effects of that conversation with my kids. Um, it's really about slowing down. It's, you know, not everything is the end-all, be-all. Um, it's important to look at things in a longer horizon. It's very easy, I think, when you're young. And 16 probably is too young to truly get this. But let's say you're you know, 22, you're just getting into the workforce, 23. Um, it's very easy to think, like, I need to make sure that this first step is the right step. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that the first step is the first step. And in order to get to the second step and ultimately the steps where you want to be, you have to take those first steps um, you know, to experiment, to try different things, to see what feels right. 
uh, and not make thing, not make everything such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so dial it back, be a little bit more Zen about things. That would be the advice I would give uh, to a younger version of myself. Um, the older one, you know, that's interesting. I, I feel like, you know, retirement age being 65 doesn't feel, and I'm 52 right now, so I'm not that far away from retirement age. I don't think that the world is heading in that direction. I feel like we're actually going to be working longer um, by choice. I, I'm not necessarily saying that the retirement age is going to increase, but like we as a society are getting older. Uh, we're living a, a better quality of life longer. So at 100, that might be a little bit old. My mother's 91. Um, I, I'd like to understand, I think, what the next chapter of life looks like. Um, and that doesn't even necessarily mean retirement. I don't see myself being retired. My mom just retired at 90. Um, so what does that next step of work-life balance look like? Is it the same that it's been for the last 15, 20 years, or is it something completely different? Um, and I would look for that older, wiser me to give me some of the same kinds of advice that I would be giving the 22, 23 year old, um, not necessarily to slow down and be more Zen, but whatever that secret is, um, I do think that there's a lot to be learned from people who have more experience, life experience and work experience than you. So I, I really value that kind of rapport. It'd be cool to meet hundred year old me. Thank you. So this has been a great conversation. So as we wrap it up, so anything else you want to share or any questions you ask you have for me. So it's all yours. Um, I do have a question for you, but before I ask the question, um, people who are interested in learning more about, about the book and contacting me can go to gamechangerthebook.com. Um, my contact information and my partner and co-author's information is on there as well. And there's also a fun quiz to see how 10x you are how far down the 10x spectrum you are and how far down the 10x spectrum your company is. So you can take those quizzes there. Um, the question I would ask you, and, and since we're talking a little bit about books, is what is your favorite book? What is the book that had the greatest impact on you? So to me, I think you know I would go back and it's more about the author. And when I was going through my MBA school, there was a book by Jack Trout and Al Rees and they talked about the 20 immutable laws of branding or marketing. And what I really liked was, I felt that that was a book that was not a business book because most business book written in a very academic way, this was written where these are tiny chapters, one thought, two examples of success, two of failure. And it resonated with me because I always thought that the world needed a book. If you are a quarterback in between plays, if I was the coach, assistant coach or the quarterback coach, as I showed you something, you just give me a head nod that you got it. And the business world usually never stops. So to me in that particular way, you know, that book has stayed with me. You know, I've read a lot of books you know, recently, but at the same time, somehow, somewhere, the 22 immutable laws by the great Al Rees and Jack Trout has always stayed with me forever. Do you think that's because they were so bite-sized and, and it wasn't overly complicated? I think so too. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Because I feel 
Yeah, sorry, you had a thought. Go ahead, please. No, I was just going to say, I feel like that is a very human learning mechanism. You know, we we deal, we learn better in bite-sized pieces than we do in massive brain dumps of of, of concepts and in-depth concepts. Mm-hmm. So I like that. And and we had that same thought in our book. It, you know, it's, it's a lot of chapters. Each chapter has basically one concept in it. Um, and interview, a lot of interviews. So it's, I think it's, it's in, in the similar vein where it's not really a business book. Um, it's more of a thought book, but I, I really like that. I tend to gravitate towards biographies. There's something about understanding and learning about how great people have conducted themselves and, and the things that they've done. Um, in particular, uh, there's a huge book, I think it's by Robert Caro, who's, uh, who the, is the biographer who did Lyndon uh, Johnson's biography, um, which I thought was incredibly fascinating because this is somebody who spanned essentially from the depression through past the Vietnam war, um, a massive amount of things happened in that 75 year time frame. Um, so yeah, I, I, I find biographies to be hugely, uh, inspirational to me. I love that discussion. Roshan, thank you again for taking time to share. This was a great thank conversation. You. And I really think this is very inspiring for each one of us to be on the journey to be a 10Xer. And what I really am taking with is, even though when you start talking about 10Xer, it seems like a major big challenge, but how you broke it down, and I really love it, is daily, minute by minute, doing the small things but with a vision of the big accomplishment, I really think that really makes this a marathon where, and I also love the way you talked about your 16, 22 year old. The first step is just the first step. Just take the step. It doesn't have to be a right step because as long as you're moving, you'll find a way. So I really appreciate that. Thank you again. Thank you. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.